All right. Hello, everyone. I was just rocking out to some tool calling of voices. Actually, such a great song, especially towards the end. Um, well, here we are back for episode number 120. Well, let's roll it. Don't act like you're not impressed. Let me tell you something, Pandeo. You pull any of your crazy shit with us, you flash a piece out on the lanes. I'll dig it away from you and stick it up your ass and pull the fucking trigger till it goes click. Jesus. You said it, man. Nobody fucks with the Jesus. Okay. Oh, man. Uh, got a lot of shit going on to do. Well, got a lot of things to do and I wouldn't have it any other way. It's been great. So, um... Uh, uh, you know, got a meeting here in just a little while, but uh, this podcast actually was brought to my attention by my boy, Rick, um, ExoMods Rick. So uh, Rick, he's my boy. He's one of the best things I think has ever been created in the car industry. And he is responsible for this change that's going to happen. And I believe we'll have a seismic will cause a seismic shift in the car industry. No question. You guys want to know what I'm talking about. It's ExoMod. Uh, you can go exomodcarbon.com or exomod.com. It's basically, in a nutshell, old muscle on new tech. Yeah, man. It's a fucking old style, right? Well, several different models, but one of the ones is a 1968 style charger body fall carbon fiber bespoke and it's basically on a brand new hellcat uh one of them just he just finished a 2022 uh hellcat challenger stripped completely to well to the chassis and people say reskinned it's basically a brand new carbon fiber body that looks like a 1968 charger, which is basically what Dodge should have done when they reintroduced the charger. But no, I'm not sponsored by ExoMod, but I am happy to be basically, disclaimer here, a member of this, this, amazing, uh, this amazing company. And you guys should check it out, exomod.com. It's brilliant. And um, I'm telling you, man, it's... Uh, It'll blow your mind and it's blowing everybody else's mind. So I'm honored to be able to work with my boy and be able to have some input on a lot of things that um, we've been uh, we've been doing. So uh, you guys do yourself a favor. And if you haven't heard from it yet, you will, because it's been caught. It's been making a shit ton of waves. I mean, we've been in motor trend and and. Um, a maxim. I mean, several articles, but it's badass. And uh, the the handle on IG as well is uh, Exomod Carbon. It's fucking badass. So I'm not sponsored by him, but I am part of them, and I'm proud to be part of them. So I always like to share about things that I'm so happy to be a part of, and things that I enjoy and love, and so forth. That is definitely one of them. Fantastic, and we will have an unveiling in November in Chicago. Yes, baby. Yes. Anyways, um, I didn't mean for it to actually sound like a commercial. I actually sounded like it. So uh, I 
man, I almost part of me I was like, man, that sounds almost like I'm reading it off it, but I'm not, but it just felt like it. Anyways, check them out and then check me out. Don't forget to check me out at Jose Mays underscore creator on IG and YouTube, uh, Jose Mays of the Degenerate. I have that on there and been releasing uh, videos weekly. Um, And they're shorts mainly, but it's always fun. So check me out on there. Don't forget to subscribe and uh you know hit that bell if you want or not either way subscribe check out a few things like a couple videos and so forth and give me a follow on ig if you could that'd be great also um hit me up on the podcast here as far as subscribe to the podcast as well remember my email is there if you guys ever want to Ooh, Susie, throw me some questions whatever it may be and I can always email you guys back or if you guys have an idea, whatever it may be. But anyways, yes, my boy Rick has turned me on to this topic. And this is going to be kind of a part one. Now, part two won't be the next episode. It might be a couple months down the road because it does go a little deep and it's quite fascinating. So I figured I would do one that's not as detailed or as involved but still very interesting and i think you guys will find it quite interesting as well and um oh a little update on on dougie because i am uh getting ready i was actually just going to just start doing the the podcast and on the topic just right now but a really uh, quick quick little update on on dougie fresh yes he ended up getting his RV on Tuesday. I haven't heard much from him, um, so I'm not sure. But I did text him uh, Tuesday, and he finally got his RV. And he bought a one, I think, a little bit bigger than he needed. However, he at least didn't buy the truck, thankfully. I did was able to talk him out of it and keep him talked out of it. And has been doing a few things with... Some of the money that he got in responsible things, in other words, paying half of his car, not that it was a ton left, but paying half of his car off and paying some of that credit card or all that credit card debt off. So I got to say, good for him. He did a hit a jackpot in Vegas on the machines. It was uh, almost 15K. And he said he only had a couple hundred dollars in because I was like, hey, man, how many? How much did you lose? I always got to be careful with that dude sometimes, but. I love him like a brother, and that's why I'm always looking out for him, and that's why I do get pissed off at him sometimes. I mean, he is my family, one uh, part of my family. And uh, I'm glad to hear that he is actually kind of out of the place that he was living with, with this other dude that never really cared for too much. And it's good that he's out, I think, now that he has his own place and already set up in p-town actually so good news about that is next time i go up to p-town we'll get to hang out a little bit because it's been a minute since i've seen that motherfucker actually i don't i haven't seen him since before the accident so it's probably going on a year and a half because his accident happened on in june of last year so it's over a year and a half i think that i've seen that dude so i'm excited to uh hopefully make a trip up there uh soon sometime and I don't know. Uh, it's exciting that he's actually gotten some things together. I know that he doesn't tell me everything all the time because 
I will light him, light him up on a few things. All in love, though. All for love. That's because that's because it's all for caring, for love. Uh, you know, it's just one of those things, right? So he's doing well, and everything has kind of came through right now. So so far, so good. Hopefully, the next time I get an update, he's all right. Um, okay, so I do have a few things I have to get to today. So. I will uh, try to, I'm just going to get into the topic uh, quickly here and we'll go from there. I don't know, hopefully not going to be, you know what? I'm not even going to give you time because every time I fucking come across as a liar, let's say it's going to be a three hour podcast. So that way when it's an hour, hour and a half, it's not as long as you thought. No, it's not going to be a three hour podcast. There's no way I could do that unless, you know, I was uh, talking with somebody, maybe if I was doing an OnlyFans, which... Yeah, I wish sometimes. Hey, man, look, I got a bad, I got dealt a bad card. I'm not uh, a hot chick, or I'm not a gay dude. Uh, so, um, I really can't be uh, OnlyFans. It's just, yeah, uh, I, I just wouldn't feel right about it. But good for them that that do. And uh, I, I just, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't mind making you know, eighty k a week, showing my pecs and you know abs and you know the old glutes the butt and you know maybe a dong here and there every once in a while not just mine not, not anybody else's mine anyways so oh episode number 120 it's crazy when i actually type it in i was like wow episode 120 which is kind of cool i I've been meaning to send the letter to Brad. I already have it ready to go. I just need a stamp. I mean, who the hell does stamps nowadays? That's why I'm not going to go to the post office to literally just to go get a stamp. I hate going to the post office to begin with. I know you can buy them at grocery stores and stuff, but they always want to sell them in, I don't know, like 30 packs or whatever. So I am a little, um, I, I don't know. I do procrastinate on that because... Who the hell has stamps, man? I swear. Uh, but I am, you know, I, I have it on my counter to remind me I got to send this out. So send that out. And then that way, hopefully we can hear back from him very soon. All right. So this episode is actually based on the mysterious disappearances in national parks. Now, I was kind of actually, not kind of, I was unaware of this of, of this happening. I don't know. I was going to call it phenomena, but maybe it could be a phenomenon. I, I don't know. However, it's my boy Rick that, show, that told me about it. So I decided to do a look it up. I've been kind of meaning to look this up a little bit, but it, like I said, it does get a little deep and it gets heavy as far as the research and, and so forth. And it can go on for a while. I mean, hell, there's there's um, podcasts on this, like solely for this purpose. Uh, I think Laura Moulton, I don't know, Rick's probably like, no, no, but he pronounced it to me. I can't remember. I am by my computer, but I'm not going to look just yet. Well, maybe I can. Let's see. Uh, Jamie Chat GPT, what about you? What do you think? Do you want to uh, kind of look on for me? He, he, Jamie Chat GPT helped me a lot this time on this one. Yeah, Laura Moulton. M-O-U-L-T-O-N. So definitely not going to go as deep as her, 
That sounded dirty. I know. But we are going to touch on a few, I think, few, few interesting stories that are, are quite fascinating to me. And a little bit of, you know, what's happening here with these national parks. I just would have never thought about, I, well, I never thought about that really happy national parks. But if you really think about it, why wouldn't there be, right? There's so many of them. They're so large. There's a lot of wild animals out there, a lot of crazy fucking people out there. So if you really actually take a step back, you go, yeah, I guess it is true, right? So, ah, oh, mysterious is, and okay, let's, here we go. And away we go. So first of all, first section we're going to go is, well, the mysterious disappearances in the wilderness. I'll read this um, a little bit more like a first person. This is just the first section. So let's check it out. All right. So <clears throat> the phenomenon of people disappearing in national parks and wilderness areas is a complex and sometimes mysterious issue. While many disappearances can be attributed to natural factors such as accidents, wildlife encounters, or getting lost, there have also been cases that have fueled speculation and conspiracy theories. In the heart of our nation's majestic parks, in untouched wilderness areas, a haunting mystery lingers. The enigmatic disappearances of those who ventured into the great unknown, never to return. These stories, veiled in intrigue and, specu and speculation, have captured the imagination of many. But what truly lies behind these perplexing oh, sorry, but what truly lies behind these perplexing events? Well, I'm going to delve into the shadows of national parks and state parks, where nature's beauties collide with the unexplained. Doom, doom, it just sounds kind of like unsolved mysteries. All right, so one fateful day in 1969, a simple game of hide and seek took a dark turn. Dennis Martin, a bright-eyed six-year-old boy, fan vanished without a trace in the sprawling expanse of Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Despite exhaustive efforts to locate him, the forest refused to yield its secrets. Was it the work of the wild, an elusive predator lurking in the underground, in the undergrowth, or something more sinister? The truth remains concealed. A chilling reminder of the mysteries that nature can hold. In the rugged terrain of Kings Canyon National Park, another tale unfolds. Stacy Ann Arras, an experienced hiker, embarked on a solar adventure in the wilderness in 1981. But fate had other plans. Her footsteps vanished. And it wasn't until over a decade later that her remains were discovered shrouded in unanswered questions. Did she succumb to the elements, lose her way in the labyrinth trails? Or was there something else at play? The wilderness whispered its secrets, but the truth remained elusive. Enter David Politis, a former police officer turned investigator who delved deep into the abyss of these puzzling dis disappearances. His work encapsulated in the pages of Missing 411 book series, unfurls a tapestry of intrigue. 
Could there be patterns woven into the fabric of these stories? Unexplained coincidences, unsettling circumstances, and clusters of incidents that defy rational explanation. Yet his theories, like whisperings on the wind, have stirred skepticism and intrigue alike. So we'll actually get, read a little bit more about Dennis Martin. Uh, very, very interesting. And I hope that at least the intro kind of piqued your interest a tiny bit. It sure did mine. All right. So some of the most perplex, perplexing disappearances. In the United States National Park System alone, there are more than 85 million acres of preserved woods, deserts, mountains, and other wilderness. So it's no surprise that in the past 100 years, there have been a number of cases of hikers going missing. Many of those who vanished were young children and inexperienced hikers but some were healthy and seasoned outdoors people. But is there more to these disappearances than just kids wandering off or hikers becoming disorientated? What could cause someone to seemingly vanish into thin air? There are two approaches people take to explaining these mysterious disappearances, earthly and supernatural. Most hiking experts would say that these missing hikers made common mistakes like taking on more than they could handle or failing to time their turn back to beat the sunset. However, some disappearances have become a focus for urban legend, online message boards and nonfiction books. In fact, missing 401 author and former police officer at Yosemite National Park, David Politis, thinks something more intriguing is afoot. His books examine more than 1,100 cases of people who mysteriously vanished in United States national parks. The National Parks Service doesn't collect data on how many visitors disappear within the vast expanses of these parks. Indeed, most people actually turn up on their own accord a few days later. In 2020, Politis estimated that there had been over 1,600 unexplained disappearances in North America. So, pretty crazy, right? I mean, if you really look at it, and, and again, if you really think about it, you go, yeah, I guess that does make sense. I mean, to a point I'm saying is 80 million, more than 84 million acres at the, and these are, the, and these are national parks. I mean, can you imagine this, the other stuff that aren't even labels national park people can just still venture out a little bit of ways, but the wildlife, the, the elements uh, the dangers alone of like cliffs, a water, uh, Bigfoot. No, I don't believe in Bigfoot. I just thought I'd throw that fucking in there. <laughs> but uh, listen, man, that shit to me is horse shit. But I'm open to it. A part of me, part of me wishes it was true. But listen, there has been no evidence. We've had evidence of dinosaurs living fucking 60 billion years ago or 60 million years ago whatever the hell right yet uh, and we have evidence we have fossils yet nothing on the bigfoot i mean did they just vent i mean do they 
like turn into fairy dust once they die. It's it just it makes zero sense. It makes about as much sense as the flat Earth fucking theory. Which the hell with that. And if you're a flat earther, I'm sorry, but eat a bag of D's. That that doesn't work. It just doesn't work. I would love to see, I would love to see, I think I've said this before, but I would love to see a flat earther have a discussion with an actual astronaut that went to space and came back. I I'd probably see more of a pay-per-view. I'd probably see that before I'd see a uh a Jake Paul or Logan Paul fight, no question. Okay, so let me get back. Sorry, I went off on a tangent a little bit. Um, but again, now you can kind of see like you never I, at least I never thought about it. like, yeah, I guess I guess it's true. I guess I guess it's definitely possible that can happen. So I'm gonna read a little bit on this article in um in notes that I've taken. Now I'll probably I might repeat a few things, but I think it's still fascinating. I think it's good to do this. All right. So People have been disappearing inside U.S. national parks at an alarming rate, with at least 10 vanishing, never to be seen again since 2016. Not long. One was a hiker whose last message was to his son, telling him he was on his way to Yosemite National Park. Another got separated from his group during a nine-day excursion through the stifling Grand Canyon heat. A young river tour guide with his whole life ahead of him also vanished during a group trip. No trace of man missing on Colorado River and Canyon, reads a local news headline from the time. At least 1,180 people were reported missing from U.S. national parks between 2018 and the first two months of 2023. That's according to records obtained by by the Post via a Freedom of Informational Act request. So Grand Canyon Emergency Services perform a recovery operation involving a deceased victim near the Yavapai geology. And this is just in February of 2021. <clears throat> so most people were located safe and well, right? Often with the help of search and rescue teams, of course. Others were found injured or dead, either from, well, suicides or accidents. That is for you selfie people. But a smaller number of disappearances can't be explained at all. A post-examination of the data showed Grand National, Grand Canyon National Park had more deaths, missing person reports, suicides compared to any park. Well, it's a big fucking hole in the earth. So, and people love to take pictures there, right? More deaths result from falls over the ca- Grand Canyon than helicopter crashes or overheating. Mm. So what's this mean? Stay out of the Grand Canyon. Just look from it from the top. Don't selfie over there um, and fall. And if you do, that's just Darwin at work doing its thing. And I'm not going to argue with that. Uh, That's so crazy. Falls from the canyon, helicopter crashes are overheating. All right, so. There's one here. One disappearance with no easy explanation is uh, by a gentleman by the name of Charles Lyon, who has not been seen in just over two years. The 49-year-old from Tyler, Texas, was last seen at a Best Western Motel in Tucson, Arizona, on June 10th, 2021. His car was found around the Grand Canyon's South Rim the next day, and police believed he was alone. John John Yan Wan saw a 
similar fate in September 2017 when his car was found parked in the south rim of Arizona's Grand Canyon National Park. The 45-year-old did not tell anyone about his plans to be in the area and was never seen again. Florida teacher Floyd E. Roberts III disappeared from Grand Canyon National Park on June 17, 2016, while hiking with the group on a nine-day excursion, police said. The area had been rocked by extreme heat when the 50-year-old was 52-year-old was separated from his group. Roberts, whom WFLA described as business technology and web designer teacher for a Florida middle school, was last seen in a remote portion of the west western Grand Canyon near Kelly Tank heading toward Shanley Spring area. With no body recovered, explaining their sudden disappearances isn't easy. <clears throat> some who fall into the some who fall into the canyon are not found for years, which I never even thought. But I guess if you're by yourself and you don't, you're not by anyone or near anyone, and you fall. I mean, I guess it makes sense, especially if it's not a common place where people go to visit, right? So some who fall into the canyon are not found for years, as in the case of Scott Walsh, who disappeared in 2015 but whose body wasn't found until 2021. Fuck. Crazy. Harder to explain is the disappearance of 22-year-old Morgan Heimer. In June of 2015, he was guiding a tour group through an area of the Colorado River near Pumpkin Springs when he vanished. NPS records show Heimer was helping clients to jump off a low cliff into the water. In the minutes before he was last seen, around 4 p.m., on June 2nd, the last client had completed the activity and Heimer and, and Heimer and the lead guide had switched positions. The lead guide had just talked to Heimer about taking a bit off a bit of time off that afternoon. The lead guide walked away from the cliff to talk to a client. When the lead guide turned around, Heimer was gone. The guide told searchers he thought Heimer had left to take a break but realized something was amiss when Heimer failed to turn up for dinner. He was actually, Heimer from Cody, Wyoming, was actually described as having advanced superior skills. He was on, he was on day six of the eight-day excursion. Heimer's family joined searchers in Arizona. Crews spent six days scouring the area before scaling back their efforts. The immediate response to disappearance in some of the most treacherous landscapes in the country falls into the hands of search and rescue workers who are battling the clock due to the extreme elements in an environment like the Grand Canyon. When you're looking for a person, you truly are looking for a needle in a haystack, longtime search and rescue expert Ken Phillips said, of searching for people in the Grand Canyon. The now-retired MPS search and rescue chief told told the police that rangers usually have only the smallest clues, a shoe impression on the ground, a credit card receipt to find whom they're looking for. You have to realize just how difficult it can be to find a single human being in such a large area, he says. Bodies are not only difficult to find within an already treacherous landscape, but also often exposed to the extreme weather conditions, including dry and heat known to expedite deterioration. Hey, it's just a dry heat. In colder climates, bodies and any evidence left behind often grow harder to find as snow accumulates. Remains are also subject to scavenging by wildlife. 
Such examples in sprawling Grand Canyon National Park are only a handful of cases nationwide that have gone cold. Na no, <clears throat> national parks elsewhere in the country have their own spates of mystery disappearances. Barry Tragan, 68, visited Glacier National Park in Montana at the end of July 2020. I've been to Glacier National Park. It's oh, fucking amazing. It's wonderful. Stayed there in a cabin and just absolutely gorgeous. So, you just don't realize how small you really are. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just when you see these mountains and the glacier. Ridiculous. All right, as we continue. His whereabouts raised alarm bells five days later when Rangers noticed his car was still parked near Kinkla Lake. Rangers searched for, for any signs of the Columbia Falls, Montana man for weeks and came across a pair of glasses they believed were his. Canines were brought in and showed interest in an area of the lake's outlet. They also used boats, ground search teams, and underwater equipment, but no signs of Tragen were ever found. The NPS scaled back its search efforts beginning August 10th, and Tragen remains missing to this day. Beverly, Massachusetts. Man by the name of Matthew Silvera's July 2020 disappearance also reached the National Park Service, which was called in to assist the Wellfleet Police Department after local officers discovered his car abandoned just miles from the Cape Cod National Seashore, according to reports from the uh, NPS and Boston.com. Camping, camping gear and his cell phone were found inside, according to the NPS report, which also, descri also described the 32-year-old as having a history of making suicidal statements. Silvera's car was found over 120 miles from his hometown, but he was never located. James Pruitt drove 1,400 miles to Rocky Mountain National Park from his hometown of Etowa, Tennessee, on February 28, 2019. The 70-year-old parked his car in the lot of Glacier Gorge Trailhead. Park rangers discovered his car March 3rd and grew suspicious when the vehicle did not have an overnight parking permit. Pruitt's family told rangers they did not know where within the national park they had planned to hike and said they had not heard from him since 10 a.m. February 28th. They also said Pruitt had not planned on staying in the park overnight. But Glacier Gorge had gotten two feet of snow by the time rangers caught wind of Pruitt's disappearance, which added to the already challenging surge. Rangers scoured 15 square miles until March 11, when their search entered limited continuous operations on March 11th. The team of 40 searchers briefly resumed their efforts in October after months of small, sporadic searches during the summer. But by that time, it's possible his remains could have been almost entirely consumed by wild animals, leaving zero trace. In California, Peter Jackson texted his son on September 17th, 2016, to say he was on his way to the high-traffic Yosemite, I know some people say Yosemite, Yosemite National Park. He had been staying at the White Golf, sorry, he had been staying at the White Wolf Campground and had paid to park through September 21st of 2016. <clears throat> the avid hiker's backpack was discovered in the area of Ackerson Meadow and Aspen Valley on August 19th, but neither he nor his remains have 
ever been found. On the other side of the country, John Squires was rafting with his friends on June 20th, 2018, when their vessel... All right, uh, you guys didn't notice, but my battery died on my mic. Well, actually the Tascam recorder. And uh, I had to go searching for them. So I've actually been away for about 15 minutes trying to rectify this issue. So I'm back. I noticed as I was recording that my battery was done. However, very happy that it actually, not long after I looked, that um, it had stopped. So sorry to interrupt. Here we go again <laughs> as we continue. On the other side of the country, John Squires was rafting with friends on June 20th, 2018, when their vessel overturned in the American Creek within Alaska's Katmai National Park. He and others were thrown into the fast-moving waters when their raft collided with the submerged object. Squires was last seen swimming downriver and trying to get to the shore. His friends were ultimately able to swim to safety, but were unable to get to Squires. He remains missing nearly five years later. <clears throat> John Squires was described... Oh, sorry. Chad Hewitt, his friend, said he was a real deal. So there's a few of them there that is, you know, quite fascinating and, and, and disappearance. Now, granted, some of those you could definitely chalk up to the elements in, you know, a lot of natural things, I guess, as far as, well, I don't, accidents, but you know what I'm saying? Nothing supernatural, let's say. However, however, the next one I have, the next set actually can come across a little bit more of that fashion. And I, I find it very interesting on these. These, these were great. And, and uh, uh, one of them, or, or several of them, kind of will bring, in, bring a little bit more, I guess, mystery to it, let's say, where you'll wonder, like, wow, what, you know, what really actually happened? So, again, some of those for sure, they, like, disappeared. And you, you're like, wow, I, I don't know what could have happened or, you know, or, you know, maybe not again, not as mysterious, but I would say there still are, but yeah, some, you know, there could definitely be some reasons behind what happened. These, however, that we're going to go into next little bit, um, will be, uh, a little bit different. Okay. So, um, I guess, let me see. So here are some of the most mysterious ones. And these, one of these will start from 1928. And the most recent one will be from 2021. And we'll go over these, well, right now. Okay, so Betsy and Glenn Hyde. This is 1928, okay? Betsy and Glenn Hyde were honeymooning in northern Arizona on the, at the Grand Canyon when they vanished. 
They were traveling down the Colorado River by scow in October of 1928 and planned to boat through the Grand Canyon. Bessie would have been the first woman ever to do it successfully. Glenn had run through river, uh, Glenn had run tough rivers before, but Bessie was a boating newbie. The couple ran across the other boaters a few weeks before their disappearance, who said they got the feeling that Bessie wanted to turn back, but Glenn was pushing her on. If they completed the trip successfully, they could go on a paid lecture tour. So this trip was more than just fun. There was money at stake. Cut to several months later, the Hyde's boat was discovered that winter, seemingly undisturbed. It was upright and full of supplies, but the couple was gone. There are many theories about what happened to the Hyde's. Did they disembark and try a too difficult side hike? Did they have an argument that turned violent? Or were they abducted? There are conflicting reports about what happened to the Hydes and more than one Bessie hiding sighting in the years that follow. I'm going to go into this a little bit more because these are all about that same length. This is like I said, I just wanted to kind of touch base a little bit and not go into too deep. The, the Bessie and Glenn, I did look up really quick, briefly on Wikipedia. And I, I kind of, I, I found it, I found a little bit more intriguing as I kind of went in, especially being in, you know, 1929. So let's go in a little bit more as far as their, their disappearances. Okay. First of all, Glenn wanted to set a new speed record for traveling through the Grand Canyon while also putting Bessie in the record books as first documented woman to run the Grand Canyon. Okay. The couple set off at the canyons uh, of the green in Colorado Bridge on October 28. Again, as a honeymoon adventure trip. They were last seen on Sunday, November 18th, 1928. So remember this, they went from on, on, on October of 1928. So they were last seen on November 18th, 1928, when they boated away downriver below Hermit Rapid. The couple had hiked Bright Angel Trail out of the canyon to resupply a few days earlier. Sorry, I got a text and I was just putting it away real quick. Uh, no, Rick, that wasn't you. Somebody else. <laughs> um, sorry, I lost my place. <laughs> uh, a few days earlier. At the South Rim, they approached photographer Emery Kolb at his studio and home on the Canyon Rim, where they were photographed before returning down into the canyon. Some Colorado River historians, such as Otis Mars Marston, note that Adolph G. Sutro um, rode from Phantom Ranch to Hermit Rapid with them in the scow. Then Sut the Sutro reference regarding riding with the hides for one day and possibly being the last to see them is mentioned specifically in the Ken's Burns PBS documentary series, National Parks, America's Best Idea, and in Marston's book. The search? A search was launched by Glenn's father, Roland, or Rollin, I guess, even before the couple were to be considered overdue at Needles, California, on December 6, 1928. On December 19th, a search plane spotted their scow adrift around River Mile 237. It was upright and fully intact with the supplies still trapped in, strapped in. A camera recovered from the boat by Emery and Ellsworth Cobb revealed the final photo to have been taken near River Mile 165, probably on or about November 27th. The search uncovered evidence to indicate the couple made it as far as River Mile 226, Diamond Creek, where it is believed they made camp. Bessie noted in her journal they had cleared 231 Mile Rapid, 
Historian Otis Marston made a compelling case that the couple were, mo were most likely swept out of the boat when their scow hit submerged rocks in the heavy rapids near River Mile 232. In describing the rapid, Marston noted, pieces of granite wall lie submerged where they, have, where they have damaged, snared, and capsized more boats than any other location in the canyon. No trace of the hides has ever been found. Some theories? Well, the romance of the story, coupled with the lack of any conclusive evidence as to the fate of the hides, has led to a number of legends and rumors. An elderly, an elderly woman on a commercial Grand Canyon rafting trip in 1971 announced to others that she was Bessie Hyde and that she had stabbed her abusive husband to death and escaped the canyon on her own. This was unlike what was known of Glenn Hyde. The woman later recanted this story. There was some speculation after the death of famed, the death of famed rafter George Clark in May 1992 that she was really Bessie Hyde due to some documents and pistol found in her effects after her death, but no conclusive evidence of such a link was ever found, not to mention that Clark's early life is well documented. The skeletal remains of a young male found on the canyon rim in 1976 with the bullet inside the skull were later proven not to be those of Glenn Hyde. Suspicion had turned to photographer Emery Kolb because the remains were discovered on his property and he was one of the last persons to known to have seen the couple alive. However, a later forensic investigation conducted by U of A concluded that the skeleton belonged to a man no older than 22 and who had died no earlier than 1972, ruling out the possibility that it was the remains of Glenn Hyde. In late 2008, a donation of photographs and documents to the Grand Canyon Museum Collection, an effort by the Coconino County's Sheriff's Office to solve the county's old cases led to the identification of the Cobb skeleton as that of an unidentified suicide victim found in the park in 1933. So... Those were the theories of Bessie and Glenn Hyde. Very, very interesting. I thought just because also because of 1928, which is, you know, quite crazy for it to be that long, that long ago. So um, never be found. And that one had a little bit of an interesting story to the side, just because the you know sidebar, whatever, just because of that, I, I just I, I just found it interesting on like what could happen and also the sightings of Bessie Hyde, which actually intrigued me a little bit more. All right, we go on to Alfred Bailhart's in 1938. Four-year-old Alfred Bailhart's was the first recorded drowning in Colorado's Rocky Mountain National Park. The weather Bailhart's actually drowned is controversial. He was camping in the park with his family over the 4th of July weekend when he disappeared near the Roaring and Fall Rivers. Bailhards had gone with his dad to bathe in the river, and from there he decided to join two family friends at a spot about 500 feet upstream of where he and his father entered the river. When everyone returned to camp, they realized that Bailhards was missing. A search began immediately, expanding to, to more than 100 civilian con conservation corps members within 45 minutes but there was barely any sign of Bellharts anywhere. A day after he disappeared, a couple hiking about six miles away from Bellharts camps had reported seeing a boy who looked like Alfred sitting in an area called the Devil's Nest. 
By the time authorities arrived, though, the boy was gone. The search went on for 10 days and included 150 men plus bloodhounds, though the size of the search party had dwindled to a dozen by the end of the eighth day. Park Rangers chalked, his dis- chalked up his disappearance to drowning. Look this up just a, just a uh, few just a few moments ago and possible sightings. Hikers in a different part of the park claimed that they saw a small boy on an elevation called the Devil's Nest on Mount Chapin while walking along Old Fall Road. According to the sighting, the boy sat on the edge of the elevation for several minutes before being jerked back by someone off to the side. The identity of this person has never been established. The hikers contacted park officials who sent climbers to search the clifftop, but they found nothing. The search party included 150 people, and Alfred later was supposedly sighted walking along a road with a man in Nebraska. Crazy, right? The aftermath, which I haven't, this I haven't read either. That part, that, that part I never read, and this part I haven't read, so that kind of surprised me just the same. A bandage found in an abandoned cabin was tested since the child had a similar one when he vanished. A ransom note for $500, equivalent to $10,000 in 2022, was sent to the parents after Alfred had been missing for five months. However, police determined to be a hoax. Alfred's father believed that Alfred had been abducted but was still alive. Fuck. That's pretty, I mean, sad too. It's a, a young boy. I mean, yeah. That part where he being banked off, that, that caught me off guard a little bit. I didn't realize that was going to be happening. Um, all right. Next is Catherine Van Alst in 1946. The Arkansas's wilderness at Devil's Den State Park swallowed up Catherine Van Alst. Eight-year-old Catherine disappeared from Devil's Den State Park near Arkansas's Ozark National Forest, where she and her family were camping. Van Alst apparently was playing with her brothers when she wandered off and got lost and couldn't find her way back. What makes her disappearance remarkable is that when she was found after six days wandering the woods, she was eerily calm. University of Arkansas student Porter Chadwick was part of the search party that found Von Alst. He told the Pittsburgh Press that when he found her, she walked stoically out of a cave and just said, here I am. She had survived on berries and spent nights sleeping in caves. Many other hikers have gotten lost in that park of the Ozarks and not been as lucky as Van Alst. Let's Jamie chat GPT. Let's see if Jamie ChatGPT can bring up some information on Catherine Van Alst. Jamie ChatGPT, you are starting to really slack off. Don't know, couldn't find any specific information. You know what? Let's go to trusty Google here and see what we can find out, if anything. Shall we? Taken by Devil's... Den State Park. That's actually YouTube. Very interesting. Let's see here a little bit more. I think I found something very interesting. I didn't mean for this to go as long as it did, so I don't know if I'll do a lot of research on these. This one I find interesting because all of a sudden, a good thing she was found alive and well, but that's what's so crazy being eight years old for that to happen, right? So we'll start again here going, and and basically the same thing. They search 
went on for six days with no sign of the missing girl and hope waning until at one point a team of volunteers were in the forest and passed by a cave from which little Catherine suddenly appeared and casually waved at them. According to those who were there, she was extremely spookily calm and almost in a daze when she simply uttered, here I am. What made this completely mind-boggling was the spot where she was found was around seven air miles away and 600 feet higher than the place where she had originally disappeared, which would be just the first of many odd details. The most glaringly bizarre thing was that this eight-year-old girl had walked an estimated 30-mile zigzagging course to get to where she was found, all in harsh, steep, treacherous wilderness terrain in her bathing suit and with no shoes on. The area is riddled with rocky terrain, thick forest, and steep hills. So one of the perplexing things for authorities was how she could have managed to cover that distance in six days through this challenging landscape, landscape barefoot. Her feet were described as swollen, and she was also covered with insect bites and scratches from briars. So it was apparent she had done some wandering, but she also didn't seem to be in nearly as poor condition that one would have been suspected. And she had covered so much distance that even a properly equipped adult would have had a, a tough time matching it. She also seemed to have been in better shape than one would have expected her from, orde from the ordeal. The cave she was in just happened to have a freshwater spring. And despite various cuts and bruises, she was not much of the worse for wear, all things considered. Another oddity was that she, that the place where she was found had already been thoroughly searched by air traffic and tracker dogs twice without having found any trace of the girl. So why had she just suddenly appeared there? And why had she been so remarkably calm after such a frightening experience? The strangeness would only continue from there. According to missing persons researcher David Politis, uh, uh, there were several oddities when police actually spoke to the girl. She allegedly claimed that she did not remember much about the six days she had been missing, merely saying that she had eaten berries to stay alive and found herself in that cave. Politis had mentioned that the area was overgrown with many types of poisonous berries, so that she chose the right ones to eat has been seen as curious, especially since she had no real outdoor experience. The girl also supposedly made some strange remarks. She explained that when she had gone missing, she had simply been able to been unable to find her campsite or her father and brothers, despite being right near them. And she would also claim that on several occasions, she had shouted out to people searching for her, but they had apparently not been able to hear her. She also says that she had been she had seen the tracker dogs, but had been too afraid of them to approach. According to Politis, she also made the strange mention of how she had slept in warm grass on the first night she went missing. With without elaboration on that, on, on what this cryptic statement meant, all of these weird clues have fired up quite a lot of speculation as to what happened to Catherine. Much of it's quite sensational and leaning fully into the oddness. One is that she was lured away from her family by strange, unexplained forces and possibly even carried to where she was found and taken care of these entities. Everything from fairies to Bigfoot to UFOs have been suggested in paranormal forum, forums, and much has been made of the fact that the area was once feared as a place of spirits by the local tribes. Yet there has been some criticism as to how the case has been presented, that more outlandish elements have been emphasized to make it more mysterious than that it really is.
However, all of these seemingly strange clues and the fact that a little girl in a swimsuit was found alive after six days in the wilderness have managed to keep the case making the rounds, generating plenty of discussion and debate. So what happened to this girl? And this all inexplainable, is this all explainable or is this something more to it? No one seems to really agree on what the right answer to that might be. And the case has remained a mystery. I wonder if they ever like went to ask her, right? I mean, just curious about that. I, I, I Like, is she still alive or if she was, like how long? Just to see, did they ever, did they ever ask her after that, right? I mean, I don't know, uh, quite crazy. Um, okay, so let's continue because I know this is getting probably a little bit longer. All right, so um, another one uh, was Paula Weldon in, in 1946, so the same year. There's an area in Green Mountain National Forest near Glastonbury Mountain in Vermont's Long Trail that believers in the paranormal call Bennington Triangle. The area got this name because of a handful of mysterious disappearances which occurred between 1945 and 1950. Although many more have been recorded over the years, paranormal author Joseph A. Citro coined the term because of the supposedly natural, supernatural circumstances surrounding these vanishings. Paula Wilden was the second person to go missing in that area of Green Mountain National Forest during this period. 18-year-old Wilden was a college student who set out on the long trail in December of 1946. She was dressed for a walk. She was dressed for walking and not a long hike, wearing jeans and a coat and sneakers. Her attire implied that she planned to return before dark when temperatures rose, supposed to dip below freezing. Weldon told her roommate that she was taking a long walk and she never returned. Several people spotted her as she hitchhiked her way to the trail and walked to the trailhead. When Weldon didn't come back by dark, her roommate let the school know, and the search began. Classes were suspended so students could help with the search. The process was disorganized at first until Weldon's father called in favors from police in two surrounding states. Unfortunately, the search didn't pan out, and frustrated family and friends had their own theories of what happened to her. Did Weldon run off with the boyfriend? Was she abducted? Did she commit suicide? Or did she die of exposure because of her inappropriate attire? No one has discovered her body, so her disappearance remains a mystery. There's a rumor that this area of the Long Trail is home to a creature called the Bennington Monster. Could this Sasquatch-like animal have something to do with the disappearance? One positive outcome of the case was that the lack of organization in the search for Paula Weldon led to the creation of the Vermont State Police, which is responsible for all the wilderness search and rescue missions in the state. Should we take a look to see... I mean, I probably shouldn't. As far as the Bennington monster, I wonder. I was kind of thinking, um, I don't know. Maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll just move forward. Okay, Larry Jeffrey, 1966. Mount Charleston. I'm very familiar with that area, or was at one point. We used to hang out there a lot, me and Dougie. Mount Charleston is a short drive from Las Vegas, Nevada. Six-year-old Larry Jeffrey disappeared near the peak of the 12,000-foot Mount Charleston in humboldt Tuyabi National Forest, just a short drive from Vegas. The search began immediately after the boy wandered away from his brothers, and within days, the National Guard and a team of bloodhounds had joined the search. 
In a TV interview, David Politis told reporter George Knapp that there was no predators afoot that day, and since the area they were in was pretty secluded, it's easy to rule out an, an abduction by car. The boy just walked into oblivion. When Jeffrey disappeared, he was wearing light clothing, and authorities were doubtful that he could survive the cold temperatures at night. Searchers found and lost the trail a few times, and they discovered evidence that the boy had been had been eating insects and foraged berries along the way. Overall, around 1,000 people searched for 16 days, but never found him. So that one, very, very short. I don't know. I was going to do a quick search, but I don't know. Um, I don't think there's much here, unfortunately. So... <sighs> Pretty crazy, though. Uh, sad. It's especially sad with kids. Especially sad with kids. All right. Uh, Dennis Martin, as we kind of brushed on a little very briefly at the beginning of the podcast. Dennis Martin in 1969. Dennis Martin disappeared in North Carolina's Great Smoky Mountains National Parks. The six-year-old Dennis was on a camping trip near the Tennessee-North Carolina state line with his family in the summer of 1969. It was an annual Father's Day tradition. All of the men in the Martin family headed to Smoky Mountain National Park to camp and hike. Dennis and his brothers had planned a prank on the adults. They were going to hide separately in the bush and jump out on different sides of the campsite to scare them. It was a typical joke that should have ended with some shouts and then a lot of laughter. The laughter ended quickly, though, when they realized that Dennis was missing. Family, park rangers, and other hikers spread out to search for Dennis almost immediately, but he was nowhere to be found. That evening, there was heavy rainfall, which is bad news when you're trying to track a missing little boy. The search for Martin became the largest in National Park Service history. One of the people searching was park ranger Dwight McCarter, who had successfully tracked down hundreds of missing persons, including young children. McCarter was a seasoned tracker, and he was struck by the complete lack of any sort of tracks. Dennis seemed to have disappeared completely, leaving no trace at all. His disappearance is still a mystery. One possible lead that searchers didn't follow was a report from another family the evening that the boy went missing. The key family allegedly heard a scream and then saw a bear man, B-E-A-R, bear man, with something slung over its shoulder that looked like it could be a small child. We'll never know whether this was related to Martin's disappearance, but one thing did come of it. The realization that having so many volunteers might have meant some vital clues got trampled on. Nowadays, searchers involved involve less people, but they have more training. The, the whole thing with the person being... Then uh, the the family seeing a bear like creature, find I find quite fascinating. I think we should check it out to see what we can find. Let's see. Okay, I'm not even gonna ask Jamie ChatGPT on this one. Um, the family hiked from Cardes. Cove to Russell Field and camped overnight. The next day, they hiked to Spence Field near the Appalachian Trail where they planned to spend the night. Martin disappeared on June 14th while planning on surprising the adults with his brother and other children from a separate family the Martins were camping with. He 
He was last seen by his father going behind a bush to hide, intending on surprising the adults with other, the other children. After not seeing him for about five minutes, and when all of the other children had returned to the campsite, his father became concerned and began searching for him. His father ran down the trail for nearly two miles until he was sure he could not have gotten any further. After several hours, they sought help from the National Park Service Rangers. I mean, became concerned, searching for him, ran down the trail. Wow. The area where Martin disappeared is marked by steep slopes and ravines. Wild animals such as copperhead snakes, bear, feral hogs, and bobcats inhabit the area. A downpour broke out shortly after Martin's disappearance, dropping three inches of rain in a matter of hours, which was washed out trails and caused streams to flood. Temperatures the night of June dropped nearly 50 degrees. Um, investigation. Shall I go on just a little bit? Uh, it says, so heavy rains during the first day search and heavy mist the day's hampered efforts. Up to 1,400 people were involved in the search efforts. Uh, footprints were found in the area but were dismissed from the possibility of being Martins by park officials who determined them to have been left instead by a Boy Scout participating in the search. The child-sized footprints led to a stream where they disappeared. The tracks indicated that one, that one foot was barefoot while the other was in, Ox, in Oxford, the type of shoe Martin was wearing, or a tennis shoe. Retired park ranger and author Dwight McCarter believes that the prints likely belonged to Martin, as the tracks were not part of the group and none of the boys were searching while barefoot. A shoe and sock were also found. By June 22nd, 56 square miles of ground had been covered. More than a thousand searchers continued to look until June 26 when the search was cut back. The search was abandoned in June 29th after a last search. The search was officially closed down on September 14th of 1969. It's still the largest search history in the Great Mountain, uh, Great Smoky National Park. Dennis fa Dennis's father offered $5,000 reward, which is almost $40,000 in 2022 for the information for that. Psych psychics Offered clues, but was nothing was found. A few years later, this is interesting. A, a few years later, after a ginseng hunter claimed to have discovered the scattered skeletal remains of a small child in Big Hollow, Tremont, he kept the find to himself until 1985 because of the fear that he would be prosecuted for the illegal ginseng. A subsequent search turned up nothing. The unsuccessful search for Martin led to the National Park Service to review and amend its policies, researching for people. So, okay, so here's a here's some theories. I didn't see this. Three main theories exist about what happened to Martin. The first is that he became lost and perished from exposure or some other cause, likely during the first night. This is the most probable theory, according to park officials. The second is that he was attacked by a hungry bear or less likely a feral pig and carried off. The third is that he was abducted and taken out of the park by something or someone. His father was a proponent of the third theory. On the afternoon that Martin disappeared, tourist Harold Key and his family heard an enormous sickening scream and shortly thereafter witnessed an unkept rough looking man running up the trail near where the scream had come from. Key looked on as the man got into the white car and abruptly sped off in it. Park rangers and the FBI concluded that there was insufficient evidence to link the sightings to Martin's disappearance, particularly given that Key's sighting was approximately five miles from where Martin disappeared, the exact same time of the sighting being unknown, and the lack of trails connecting the two sites. Wow. 
that doesn't surprise me. It's just amazing. I, a lot of times I think half the time, it, you know, they can be at fault. That's that's ridiculous. Now, when I did do a search, I did find something about the, I, I did find something here that said, what, uh, where was Dennis Martin found? Okay. Now, I don't know the source here. It says Knoxville News Sentinel. And it says here, this story was initially published in on June 28th. Let me get this. On June 28th, it tells me. And has been pulled from the Knoxville News Sentinel archives. The search for Dennis Martin remains to be the longest in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park history. So it says, just six days shy of seven years old, Dennis Martin was a boy with curly brown hair and a happy smile. The red t-shirt tucked into his green hiking shorts made it easy for grown-ups and his group to see him run along <coughs> Spence Field in the National Park. His dash from his bright sunlight and the dark brush on the afternoon of June 1497 was the last time Dennis Lloyd, Denny to his family and friends, was ever seen. People lost in the wilderness are not typical missing person cases. Regardless of the age of the lost person, they prompt a quick search. The search for the Knoxville boy was the most massive in parks history, but it was marked by errors of hampered by fogs and flash floods. 49 years later, the child's fate remains one of Tennessee's greatest mysteries. The case still haunts Dwight McCarter. <clears throat> and she's, you know, he wrote a book. It's the book about searches for lost campers and Children's are important to us, he says. In his slow, deep mountain draw, they tug at our hearts. So he had never been found. I thought for a second he was because when I read the little note of where where was Den Mar Dennis Martin found, it says a few years a few years after Dennis was last seen, a man came across the skeletal remains of a small child in Tremont's Big Hollow. The bones included the skull. And we're already being scattered by animals. The man kept the fine for himself years later because of illegally hunting and feared he would be prosecuted. But actually, nothing ever came about that. So that was interesting. I just was I figured I'd, I'd take a look. Man, I am getting way over here. Um, well, this might have to be a two part right off the bat. So anyways, um, let's. Uh, oh, yeah, I still have quite a bit. Let's move on, shall we? Um, 1971, Douglas Legg. Um, Douglas Legg and some of his family were heading out for a hike in the Adirondack Forest Preserves Santioni Preserve. Wow, that's a mouthful. When his uncle spotted poison ivy and told Legg to put on long pants to protect himself. The family's cabin was a short, straight shot from where they were, but eight-year-old Leg never returned. Unlike a lot of the kids who have gone missing in national parks, Leg was very familiar with these woods. His family owned the cabin where they were staying and described Leg as a mini woodsman because they all hiked together so often. Leg's disappearance sparked one of the Southern's largest search and rescue missions with more than 600 people searching the woods, but like Martin, Leg left no trail. Unlike in the Martin case, Though rescuers used dogs in their search, some accounts described dog, dogs following legs sent over a 30-mile trail through difficult terrain. How could a young child have traveled alone for such a long distance? Some searchers reported seeing a bear-like tracks near the site. While black bears do drag their prey to cover, dragging someone 30 
miles over difficult terrain seems unusual. The family became desperate and began suspecting each other and even their friends of abducting, abducting leg. But the police were certain that the mini woodsman had simply gotten lost and he was never found. I mean, that's fucking nuts, dude. To be just right there and, and, and to be not to be familiar with the area, to know where the cabin is, to be like just that fast, you know, and, and just like not too far. It's just, it's, it's mind-blowing. There's, there's got to be an explanation, right? In 1997, John Devine, according to Peninsula Daily News, Olympic National Park in northern Washington state has a feature that's not as majestic as its mountain views. At least four hikers have mysteriously disappeared from the area in the past 25 years, one of whom was 73-year-old John Devine. In 1997, Devine planned to hike into the park from Mount Baldy. That's a weird name. The trail is a tough 24 miles, and though Devine was elderly, he was also an experienced long-distance hiker. Devine was camping with his friend Greg Balzer. They split up on the day that Devine went missing. Balzer went off to hunt while Devine took off on a day hike. Devine never returned. The fruitless search for Devine lasted a full week until a rescue helicopter crash killed three people and injured five others. By that time, weather conditions had deteriorated, making the chances of finding Divine slim. Friends and family said that Divine wouldn't want to put people in danger on his behalf, and the search was called off. The search helicopter's crash is as mysterious as Divine's disappearance. Before takeoff, the pilot used a hand signal indicating that he was going to wait Five minutes for conditions to improve before attempting it. A moment later, the helicopter departed vertically without warning and crashed into the side of a mountain. Yep. Wow. In 2004, David Gonzalez. At 8 a.m. on a July day in 2004, David Gonzalez asked his mother if he could have the car keys. There was a box of cookies in the car and the nine-year-old wanted a treat. The car was only 50 yards away, and his mother watched him as he walked to the parking lot near their Big Bear Lake campsite in Northern California, San Bernardino National Forest. She turned her back for a second, and when she looked around, Gonzalez was gone. His mother reported that she heard no sound at all when her back was turned, though she did see a beige truck speeding out of the campground around the time that her son went missing. Since there were no signs of abduction, authorities did not pursue the lead. The cookies that Gonzalez went to get, the, get were still in his family's locked van, so he never made it to the car. Rescue teams in San Bernardino County scoured the woods for Gonzalez. They found no signs of struggle or of the boy. The search went on for nine days, but rescuers never found him alive. Almost a year later, Hikers stumbled upon the boy's remains about a mile from his family's campsite. Authorities initially chalked this up to a mountain lion attack, but how could a mountain lion have a silently dragged a nine-year-old boy a mile without leaving any blood or signs of the struggle? The autopsy determined that any marks made to the child's remains were done by scavenging animals. Sad, sad. Though. I mean, they found the body, his little body, but it's just still sad. 2013, Prahadeep Sran. Prab 
Prabhadeep Sran. Yeah. Was a 25-year-old Canadian Army reservist who disappeared from Australia's National Park, located in the southeastern state of New South Wales. Sran was studying abroad in Australia in May of 2013 when he decided to take a 1,700-mile road trip from the Gold Coast to Melbourne. Sran rented a van, drove to the park's Charlotte Pass in the Snowy Mountains, and no one has seen him since. The search for Sran began when the rental company discovered that the van wasn't returned. Sran hadn't told anyone what route or side hikes he was planning. And, and the search may have started days or even a week after he went missing, since it was the rental company that first reported the disappearance. Searchers figured out his hike plans by looking at the search history on, on a laptop they discovered they recovered from his van. Sran's family hired private researchers after Australian authorities called off their search after only two weeks. The investigators used tower data from Sran's phone and a trained dog to track his trail to a treacherous area called the Western Fall Wilderness, just one day before his van was due back to the rental agency. Sran embarked on a difficult and time-consuming hike in snowy weather. Why would a trained military reservist make a choice like that? Despite a private search that went on for over a year, his body was never recovered. 2017, Jacob Gray. The mystery of what exactly happened to 20-year-old Jacob Gray will likely never be solved. The athletic young man rode his mountain bike into a rainstorm in, Nash in Olympic National Park in Washington in April of 2017 and was never seen alive again. His bike and gear were found on the side of the trail, but Gray was nowhere to be found. This kicked off a search largely championed by his father, Randy, who actually sold his house and closed his contracting business so that he could fully devote his time searching for his son. Randy spent months doing that, all the while theorizing about what could have happened to his child. He considered hypothermia, accidentally drowning, an accident, and so on. He also worried that burgeoning mental health issues had gotten the best of him. In August of the same year, he got the phone call that a group of researchers had found Jacob's remains and supplies higher on the mountain than anyone expected. The likely cause of death was hyperthermia. And the last one, 2021, Sian McLaughlin. Now, last one, at least what I'm going to go over. <clears throat> a 27-year-old Irishman visiting Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming has been missing since June of 2021. The last known sighting of the Dublin native Sian McLaughlin pinpoints him heading in the, direct, in the direction of Taggart Lake. This is located on an eight-mile trail that is very difficult in nature. When he didn't show up to work, he was reported missing. He held the dual citizenship of the U.S. and, I and I Irish and U.S. citizenship. His car was found nearby and kicked off a search that formally ended two weeks later. 45 helicopter searches and other high-tech tools have yet to reveal any information about his whereabouts. His family and the U.S. National Park Service have since put out a poster with the photo and details as well as a hashtag FindSeon to keep him top of mind for visitors to the area. The disappearance is extra puzzling as his uncle described that particular trailhead as his favorite. Another hiker reported seeing McLaughlin without a backpack, so it appeared that he had just gone out for a walk.
Yes. Um, wow. Quite interesting, I have to say. Uh, and, and again, opens up your eyes in, in very big ways, I think, right? I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of scary how these things happen. And I was gonna go on because what I'm uh, I'm an hour I'm an hour and fifteen minutes roughly right now, and I still have three pages to go of stuff, so I think I might just end it here. Maybe I'll do maybe this will be a three parter. Uh, the part two was not supposed to be for this part. Part two was supposed to be for maybe a month or two months or who knows down the road but um this might be uh this might just be a straight two-parter because <laughs> it, it it i definitely have a little bit more to go and the next topic would be theories you know include and i have five of them here that i went over and, um, you know, some of them are, of course, obvious and some of them are, are quite interesting. So I, I think maybe we'll we'll just end it there. Um, I don't know. I'm thinking maybe I should be able to try to finish, but it'd probably take me another 30 minutes and that'll lead up to, all, you know, an hour and 45 minute podcast, which is a little long, I think. Um. Yeah, let's pause there. Let's pause there. And after that, we'll go to the theories include. And then we'll touch on the Missing 401 book series. What is it about in the Missing 401 theories? And then uh, and then that'll basically be the end of it for the most part. And a conclusion, of course, at the end. So uh, we'll pause there. Um, I would go a little bit more, but I do have a few other things I, I need to get to. Let me just check really quick. Maybe I can push it, but let me check. All right. Uh, yes, I'm checked a few things and I'm, I'm going to have to pause this because I definitely have uh, a few things I, I need to get to and it's getting a little late on my side. So Hope you guys don't mind. We will continue this on the next episode. Maybe I'll just throw one. Maybe I'll just finish it for like next week or something. So that way we don't have to wait for two weeks. Uh, I'll see what my availability is since I have this scheduled every two weeks on my calendar. But uh, nonetheless, I hope that you guys are enjoying it so far and that you will be looking forward to at least the next episode to I would I don't want to say conclude it because that you know these these missing persons are like sadly and unfortunately they're that is what they are they're they're, they're just unsolved cases so i i can't really i hate to use a word conclusion right but we will i guess conclude this two-part episode and um and and hopefully you know i can continue this topic at a later date and maybe dive into a little bit more if, if I'm able to, but, uh, you know, really quick, just thank you guys for, you know, again, taking the time to listen to truly appreciate it. Uh, Rick is uh, Rick and, um, 
Rick, I know Chad still listens to uh, to my stuff too. So I just I really do appreciate to them two guys that they're always they're always supporting me in one way or another. And I just uh, I find it I I find it grateful because it, it's nice to have people that support in what you do. And and it's just something that is is fun. It 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 gets a little hard to do with the podcast, but in the end I enjoy it and I'm just glad to have people that at least take a listen and enjoy it. Um, and that might be, it's only, the, it might be the only them too, but you know what? 2% is better than, 2% of something is better, better than 100% of nothing, right? That's just the way it is. So I do thank you guys. Thank you everyone for always taking the time, stopping by, taking a listen. Hopefully we get, uh, you know, some feedback, or not feedback. <laughs> Hopefully we get, a letter from Brad, you know, relatively soon. Again, you guys can always email me, juanandjoecomedy at gmail.com. And again, don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel, Jose Meza Degenerate, Degenerate, Jose Meza underscore creator on IG. Check out Exomod Carbon on IG, exomod.com. And subscribe to the podcast. I will talk to you guys next time and we will conclude this episode. Appreciate you. That's a fucking wrap.